millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. State of the Nation, a Virgin Media television survey reveals the public's deep fears about the cost of living. Food is, is huge, huge. I and mean, food inflation has is, is gone up and it's just keep going up. There's no, no stopping it, you know. A former patient says she experienced massive weight gain while on a cocktail of drugs as a damning report is published into youth mental health services. I was completely sedated. I could sleep for hours and hours. I'd go into school and I'd fall asleep during class. Join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Well, the Minister for Finance has described as startling the findings of a Virgin Media Television State of the Nation survey that finds that more than nine out of ten people are concerned about the cost of living. Conducted by Red Sea in recent days, it reveals almost total agreement among those questioned about their alarm over the crisis. A key finding of this Red Sea State of the Nation survey for Virgin Media shows that more than two-thirds of respondents believe the government isn't doing enough to support households. Well, we got some reaction on the streets. Well, they say it's going to ease, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. The, uh, food is, is huge, huge. I mean, food inflation has is, is gone up and it's just keep going up. There's no, no stopping it, you know. And you can see it in everything you buy. We're students, like we want to socialise. Mm. And then it is so hard, you know, to have a bit of a social life with the worry of like, you know, being able to pay for your taxis mm -hmm. home, like going out for food, drinks and things like that, and actually enjoying being in Dublin itself. We're both in student accommodation, uh -huh. so our electricity and stuff is included, but a lot of our friends, like, they will go about coats, layers, because they can't afford to pay for electricity in their student houses and stuff. With the cost of fuel and gas and, you know, petrol diesel, all those things have gone very expensive, as everybody knows, and they're struggling. It's not getting easier, no, it's getting very difficult, especially, I think, when you're going by groceries. You find the bill is shot up every week, you know. And I don't know where is the cheapest supermarket now. They all advertise that they're all, I think they're all in a par, you know. No, it's worrying, all right. Well, everyone we spoke to clearly uh, feeling it very much. Let's take a look at some new poll findings from that survey, which we can exclusively bring you uh, here on The Tonight Show. Over half of all respondents, that's 54%, are living paycheck to paycheck. It rises to 60% among the cash-strapped 35 to 54-year-old group, and females are 30% more likely to be living paycheck to paycheck. Close to only half of respondents could financially deal with an unplanned emergency bill of up to €1,000, for example, car repairs. That's dropping to 47% among 18 to 34-year-olds. And those in rural areas are less confident that they could financially deal with an unplanned emergency bill. 
coming their way. Well, I'm joined on my panel tonight by the new Minister of State, Neil Richmond, Sinn Féin TD, Mark Ward, Kira Phelan is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner, and Tricia Keelty is here from the charity St Vincent de Paul. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, Tricia Keelty, I wish to come to you first. You could hear from talking to people, they pointed out things like food inflation, electricity costs, um, people clearly feeling the pinch and still feeling it into the new year. Um, and interesting what, what we're revealing tonight about over half of all respondents, 54% of people living paycheck to paycheck from one month to the next. Does that surprise you? I think the results are, are very stark, but unfortunately it's not, not very surprising um, given the work that we do in communities and supporting people through this cost of living crisis. Regularly we would meet people who are living week to week, um, paycheck to paycheck, um, and those households are really, really struggling now under all this pressure, whether that's rising food bills or energy costs. Now, we have seen the very, very positive impact of the cost of living payments that were made before Christmas, but for a lot of households, they've been wiped out by a big bill or, you know, they're really being eaten up now by the, the rising food costs that people are experiencing. So from our point of view, you know, they are very shocking, but really it's not surprising, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You talked about there about that... Um unplanned emergency bill. Um, this is when often would you find in Vincent de Paul that people come to you for the first time, people who may not have needed or gone to you for, for services before that they've come to you and said, you know, I have a thousand euro to pay out for car repairs. I have an unexpected hospital visit um, and I need the money. I simply don't have it. Yeah, that would be very common and that would have been common prior to the cost of living. But really, now we're seeing more households being affected by that. It can be just a very simple thing that could tip someone into poverty. And while people may be able to get support through the Department of Social Protection, for some people that may not be possible. And if they don't reach out for support, then they, that can tip someone into crisis. And I suppose it's really important to say that while everybody is feeling impact of the cost of living and the rising cost of living, not every household is in crisis. And I think it was quite clear from, from this, the survey that some groups of people are feeling it more, whether that's women. We would see many lone parents in particular who are primarily women really struggling through this cost of living crisis. And I was most struck by the fact that a fifth of households with children had cut back on food or other essential items. So that's really stark and I suppose really just shows the level of difficulty out there and why it's so important that the government really pay close attention to this and are willing to act and intervene. Uh, yeah, Neil, when you hear those statistics, and there are many, but I, I suppose above it all is that 90% of people are still concerned about the cost of living uh, crisis. It, it is impacting on them. And despite the interventions from government, Two-thirds of people we surveyed simply don't believe the government is doing enough. Well, it must be said that the government has done quite a bit and a lot more than many other countries in a similar situation have been able to do. But anyone who has is on the ground, like myself and Mark as constituency TDs, know exactly what's going on and we know how difficult people from all uh, walks of life are finding it, but particularly those who are in the most socially disadvantaged areas. And that's why we saw the measures that, we brought, that were brought in in December being targeted. Would that be about but, right then? Two thirds of people surveyed don't believe the government is doing enough. Is that why they're knocking at your door? Well, I think it's the same whether you're in Ireland or anywhere in the world. There are some seriously big challenges being faced after the pandemic, the rise in cost of energy, logistics in terms of the cost of food. It's all impacting everyone 
What we have said and what was said during the budget was serious measures were taken, over 4.1 billion euro of additional supports. But there is, of course, scope to, um, to look at further me measures in the next budgetary cycle. Let's remember. Does it frustrate you then? Because, I mean, there was that sense, <coughs> and I know that government were saying it, that this is, you know, a, a cost of living budget. You know, you were rolling out all these measures. Some of them came in in the new year. They would have landed um, in January for people. There was the electricity credit, all of that. And yet it seems that many people say, you know what, that's not, that's not helping me to the extent that it needs to. Well, to be honest, we knew when we drew up the budget that it wasn't just a short-term measure that we could solve all problems. We knew that this would be a longer thing and that's why money was put aside and that's why we have the option to extend these going forward because this cost of living crisis, Claire, it won't end in a couple of months' time. It could be here for a long period and that's why we do happen to have an economy that's doing particularly well at the moment and unlike previous crisis areas, we have the largest percentage of people at work. So it's using those gains from the economy to make sure that we Measures were taken in December, unprecedented measures in many ways. But yes, there will obviously have to be more measures taken. And it makes sense that this that last budget wasn't going to solve everything, but it was going to prepare a platform because right. it could have been an awful lot worse. Um, Mark, um, you heard from Neil there, it could have been a lot, more, a lot worse. The government are, are well aware of the concerns and the fears that are out there and they're willing to act uh, again with more measures if they're needed. What's your take from that? I was just listened to the Minister of Finance there in the VTs saying that he found these findings startling. I don't find these findings startling. My, my constituency office is in an unemployment centre and in a training centre on the Neastown Road and it's one of the biggest issues that comes in my door on a daily basis, either to myself or to young Daniel that works in the office for me. I don't know how he does it on a daily basis. People coming in who are struggling to make ends meet, struggling to put uniforms on their kids' back, struggling to heat the home, struggling to feed their children. We have a food bank in my area, which we hadn't got five years ago. We have a food bank that has grown over 60% over the last couple of months because people, workers and families, are absolutely struggling um, to, to, to provide for their, for their families. And what are you saying to them? What, what are you saying to people who will look for that support and look for that help? Do you believe it's out there for them? The, some of the measures that the government brought in did provide some short-term relief. So the, the energy credits that came in did provide some short-term relief for people, but it just did not go far enough. Like an energy cap would have made a big difference. It would have gave people certainty. It would have One of the biggest fears that people say to me is when they come into my office and they're talking to me is when that bill drops in their door, that they don't know how much it's going to, go, how much it's going to be and how much it's, it's going to go up from the time before that. But so Mark, they can't plan. Accept, we don't know how much an energy cap's going to cost. That's why the British government, when they brought it in, brought it back. That's saying, don't worry, we'll cap it. And the cost will go up and up, which we, means next year, when this cost of living crisis is still here, we won't be able to do anything we provided, for We provided figures of 1.6 uh, billion that would have been uh, uh, eight months um, of last year and the first five months of, the, of okay, this year. Okay, but what happens when and it would have brought it back and to, finished? And it would, have, it would have brought it back to, to measures. When it comes to May, one of the things that won't be happening is that people won't need as much energy to heat the home. And that's true, Mark, we're, we're still going to be in a cost of living crisis. We're still going to have a war in Ukraine. We're still going to have supply chain issues coming from China post-pandemic. Simply budgeting to May doesn't cut it. We have to budget it all the way for the entire calendar year of 2023. Are, are you saying with that end of March, because that's when, you know, credits and all of that are, are, are coming to an end under government plans for now, there will be more. We're likely well, to what, see more energy credits. Well, what the Minister said is everything is constantly under review. And I think that's what has to happen. It has to be constantly under review because there isn't a finance thing. The one thing, and we're dealing with energy, we have to be able to do it on an EU-wide basis to deal with the energy companies, to look where the supply is. All Simply right. writing a blank and, cheque. And other countries in the EU have brought 
in energy cups. I want to bring, I want to bring Kira Phelan in at this point. Well, yeah. Kira, um, the government is saying it, it is doing a lot. People are still clearly feeling the pain. That's what the survey findings are showing. This is what Tricia is saying, that everything that is being said there is being reflected in services like St. Vincent de Paul and the demand mm. for help. Yeah, and I think one of the the findings as well that was in your survey was 22% um, of respondents said their children had actually gone without a meal or new clothes, which is heartbreaking to say the least. Um, I think obviously Neil probably isn't in a position to say here tonight, but it is likely that the government will have to do something further uh, regarding energy credits. Um, you know, we had a 5 billion euro surplus in tax receipts. Uh, that's our tax return surpassing 100 billion for the first time. Uh, we know there was 2 billion put into a rainy day fund in, for 20 22, 4 billion to be put in in 2023. And I think the government, you know, have said more or less that they're going to have to do something about this. I mean, um, Finance, Finance Minister Michael McGrath got a briefing document when he went into the into his new position as uh, finance minister in that department and it actually outlined in that document to him by officials that the energy shock is going to have an unavoidable impact on people's living standards and that's something that the government will not want to ignore. Yeah, and I think when looking at, at the survey findings, um, what strikes me when we're talking actually in both those um, um, what we're revealing tonight about half of respondents can financially deal with an unplanned bill and half of people are living paycheck to paycheck. There's another half who aren't, who are not facing into this problem. A country of two halves, uh, Tricia. And when we are approaching this, do you think government needs to take another strategy at maybe, you know, um, isolating, focusing in on the people who need it most with more, a more targeted approach? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of things that we can we think the government can do to actually achieve that. So firstly, we are seeing gas prepay meter customers really struggle to keep their heating on. So they can apply a credit to those customers in recognition of the extra vulnerability of those. That's something that they could do quite quickly. And would make explain a big... that to me. If you can't pay, then you are automatically you're, cut off just you, by the very nature yes. of prepay. So you, you're not protected by monitoriums that bill pay customers would be. So that's something that the government can do that's really targeted and would make a big difference. The other thing that we'd like to see is extending the fuel allowance to people in receipt of the working family payment. There are people in low paid work um, who are struggling with their energy bills but that would give them a net benefit of over €900 Euro if they were brought into that fuel allowance And net. did you not call for that, Vincent de Paul, not call for that in the budget? We did, we did. And what happened with that? Was it ignored as far as you're concerned? Uh, it wasn't taken up. Now, they did give a €400 Euro extra payment on the fuel allowance, but from now, the weekly rate has stayed the same. And that's, I suppose, the other area that's really important that we address. Our social welfare increases were below inflation. So we need to move towards benchmarking our social welfare system that it's actually linked to the cost of living. Um, and it's not just nominal increases. We're really disappointed that there was only a two euro increase for children in the poorest households. And given the fact that food poverty is so prevalent, that's something that we, could, again, could really target support Do you to. acknowledge, Neil, that all those criticisms are valid? Of course, but I think we have to acknowledge what was done. The fuel allowance was broadened, to a much, broadened out to a much wider category of people who were really on the borderline. And if what you about look this at, working family payment? Because we did hear about that, that why wasn't it extended, say, to that, to that group who are struggling? As well, it was taken into consideration, but the priority was to give the additional payments in the fuel allowance, but also to broaden out Therefore, far more people, particularly those over 70s, particularly those in older houses who are reliant, say, on oil-fueled oil houses, yeah. which are less efficient. Do you think you could have in. done more, though? Because there was criticism around the electricity credit at the time that not everyone needs it. Not everyone. That this survey goes to show, mm. if you were talking about the over 1,000 people that we asked, 
half of them are not living paycheck to paycheck and half of them do have a thousand euro if they need to pay uh, for car repairs or home heating breakdown. It's not an issue for quite a proportion of the population. Well, I suppose it doesn't say with that, that half how close they are to the edge, because a lot of people are maybe not living pay tax to pay tax, but they're just the other side. And when, if you look at all the measures that were taken, they were heavily focused on those who are on so social welfare payments. And yes, these increases you say didn't match inflation, but previous increases were ahead of inflation. So there is a balance of that over the cycle. And certainly the government has said throughout that all these things are under review and more can be done. And so more mini budgets, when you're saying more can be done, say we're talking about, you know, expanding that... Um, eligibility for, you know, f fuel allowance or, you know, an increase, as you say, in line with, with um, inflation on, on, on payments to people who need it. Well, what we saw in this budget is we saw three different payments that happened before the budgetary cycle. These were exceptional payments that had never been done before. So it is looking at things like that because, yes, we do have a surplus. We've managed the economy that we can do more. We haven't simply blown all the money in one go. OK, so there may be more cash coming then, um, Mark Ward, you know, after the end of March, perhaps into springtime, with the cost of living, as the Minister saying, uh, persisting, uh, the issue being, being a major issue, I think, for, for the time to come. Absolutely. And we, we must do, as, as we said already, target those who are most in need. Uh, for example, the energy credit. I shouldn't have got the energy credit. Neil shouldn't have got the energy credit. We shouldn't have got that. that they should have been money and resources that would have been put into people that really, really needed Do you agree with that, it. Neil? No, because I think that's a simplistic approach because we but don't why? know... But that's been the criticism. This it's is... way too simplistic and, if, and it needs to be targeted. If you give me the ch chance, Claire, if we look at targeted measures, which there were a considerable amount of in budget, there also has to be measures for those people who, they may appear on paper, the people with a large mortgage, the people who are living hand to mouth, there is an importance to have a real equitable measure. Fianna Gael, voter, Kira. No, it's, it's also can just say important to put into context tonight before coming on the show I got updated figures from uh, through PQ with, from Sean and Sherlock that essentially shows um, that nearly 100,000 people applied for an additional needs payment and that's on top of the social welfare payments that are given and the government actually handed out 58 million euro in 2022 alone and these cover things like funeral costs um, bills, rent like the, the money that was given out given out to cover people's rent and a mortgage was astronomical and it just goes to show that what the government have put forward and what they may do in the coming months as well won't be enough for particular groups of people and it was the argument as you said put forward that some people don't need it and I think the government have said we need to target things but they haven't done that and it's a waste of money in some in some, some aspects as well. Um, yeah so maybe there I mean that as I said that was the criticism from the budget the last time out, it's something that you, you said you'd like to see a more targeted approach. The criticism was, or the difficulty with that we heard was it was, it was hard for revenue, it was hard to target these payments. Um, and Vincent de Paul, would you see it as a, as a challenge for government to try and achieve? Or do you think there are simple ways, even through your services, that you could help those who are most vulnerable and in, most in need? I think there's plenty of options and, uh, you know, I've just pointed to some of the things that they could do in terms of targeting. Totally uh, agree that, you know, there is maybe a broader category of people who are struggling who may not be in those, um, uh, in the social protection net, but really it is about targeting because, as I said, 
everybody is feeling the impact of the cost of living crisis, but not everybody is in crisis. So we really need to look at ways to getting that support to people. And there's a number of things that they can do, whether it's on pay-as-you-go meters, whether it's through expanding the fuel allowance or providing um, support again through the additional needs payment scheme. OK, uh, I want to move to um, what we're likely to see tomorrow, which is uh, the Minister for Public Expenditure, Kira uh, Pascal Donoghue, before the Dáil again. It's the second time before the Dáil has turned third time giving an explanation around 2016 election <clears throat> expenses. What are we likely to hear or get from tomorrow's appearance? Hopefully complete clarity in that I won't be writing about this next week. Um, Claire, I think the uh, Minister of Public Expenditure has to answer questions about um, his 2020 general election expenses, which we know that there's possibly something there that he needs to clarify. Not entirely sure yet, um, but I understand that uh, the coalition leaders believe that it will be put to bed tomorrow and that um, all the questions put forward by Sinn Féin um, will be answered. All right. Um, are you confident of that, Mark Ward? Well, what happened last week was just farcical, where, where the Minister took, gave a statement, listened to questions of the opposition and then talked down the clock. And then he said there was nothing else to see here. And then all of a sudden there was more to see here. So I hope the Minister comes in front of the Dáil tomorrow. He, he answers all the questions that the Dáil put, uh, that the, the opposition party put to them and, and then we'll get some clear answers on And them. then what? If you get those answers, if the questions are asked mm -hmm. and you do get answers, you know, what's Sinn Féin's take on it? I mean, do you want to see, you know, a ministerial head here? It's well, not what Sinn Féin would ultimately like to see. What we want to see tomorrow is the minister to be fully accountable to the Dáil and we will make a decision based on the answers that the, the minister gives tomorrow. All right, so clarity around uh, 2020 expenses? That was asked four times last week in the Dáil, around the 2020 expenses, and it was refused to answer. Uh, Neil, would you acknowledge it's been incredibly damaging um, for Fine Gael coming back into the new year and overall confidence in the government? Well, it's certainly been an extremely difficult week, but I think I'll take issue, Mark. You know, you can't give an answer to a question if you don't have the full facts. And I think that's what's something that Minister Donoghue has done over the weekend. He's got the full facts. And we will see full accountability tomorrow. We will we'll see all questions answered. And in due course, I look forward to Sinn Féin answering questions that they have as but well. He had an opportunity to answer questions last week. And as and I said, Mark, if them. you don't have the answer to the questions, you can't answer them. In fact, you come back, you go through the data and provide the answers. And when you can explain the €7,500 payment for your poll, I look and, forward to those answers And that's too. just typical Fianna Gael distraction to an How issue. How is it distraction, Mark? You're up an issue we, and then when you have your own issues Shin, you, you've no interest it's distractions Sinn Féin you didn't declare Shin an opinion poll that under, seven, was it euro or sterling I don't I'm think people want sure. to hear me, me and you argue uh, that's what you've been back. doing for the last so, week that's fair. I think that's fair as well, well if, if, if the government have answers is, to and we absolutely yeah, have and, yeah, and let Mark answer what I'm saying is we are fully compliant with Sinn we have no, there's no investigation with us in SIPO. We, yes. we, we, there isn't at the moment. Yes, and, and if there is an investigation in SIPO, we will deal with that now. But there is no investigation in SIPO. Have you complained to SIPO? We have answered, we have answered like, all the questions I that we need. But, like, I, I look but forward why to haven't you? I mean, if you're bringing it up here. Well, it's definitely something that's being considered by other people. I don't know if it'll be certainly me. Uh, I'm not too sure if I'm able to, as a minister for a start, still reading into that brief, but I very much would like to know, was that poll paid for in sterling or euro? Yeah. Did Johnson Dowdle donate a thousand euro to Sinn Féin or to Mary Lou MacDonald? No, it's, it's a no, question, no, Mark. It's, you love asking questions, no, 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 but I'll, I'll answer that question. It's quite, answer it then. it's quite clear that Johnson Dowdle did make a don donation to, 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 to Mary Lou MacDonald over 10 years ago. Okay. And, and that was fully recorded with SIPO and there has okay. been no issue with that. And, was the, and who paid for the poll and why did you wait two years to put that into the record? And was it sterling or euro? 
I, I don't know whether it was Sterling. Okay. I can't answer that question whether Sterling or okay, well, As I'm saying, we are and fully... And that's why you get the evidence but, out and we're but, fully accountable. We, if you we can't are, answer it there and then, we, we you are, give the answers when we you We are it. fully compliant with SIPO and we will take any questions on that. All right, there we're going to leave it for now. Um, just before we go, actually, we've got some breaking news to bring you and a man has been charged uh, in connection with the fatal assault of a patient at Mercy Hospital in Cork at the weekend. And Garthi say the man will appear in court tomorrow morning charged over the death of Matthew Healy. And in other news tonight, uh, three people have been hospitalised for minor injuries after an incident at accommodation in City West in Dublin. Garthi were called to the scene in Sagart at accommodation being used by international protection applicants and no arrests have been made there. Well, my thanks to Trisha Keelty from Vincent de Paul. The rest of my panel is staying on with me. Next, that damning report on youth mental health services. Do stay with us. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Welcome back. The HSE has been called on to explain glaring gaps in the child and adolescent mental health system after an inspector's report highlighted serious concerns in the service that put some patients at risk. The report also reveals children getting lost in the system, a lack of outer hours services and poor monitoring of children on antipsychotic medication. Well, one former North Kerry CAMS patient says she experienced massive weight gain and was forced to drop out of school after being put on a cocktail of unnecessary drugs. Valerie O'Sullivan, who engaged with services because she was suffering social anxiety and depression, hopes that the recommendations in the Mental Health Commission report will lead to major reforms. 
I just changed completely as a person. I was no longer there. I didn't go to parties, discos. Um, I had to drop out of school. Um, and I loved learning. Absolutely loved learning. I didn't understand much. I was completely sedated. I could sleep for hours and hours. I'd go into school and I'd fall asleep during class. I was self-harming. I was punching trees, acting out, running away from home. Um, and after all that kind of came to light, they seen different disorders, but it wasn't disorders, it was side effects. Um, and they started adding on more medications to treat those side effects. These children are suffering. The children that have left are still suffering and they will forever suffer. There's days where I'm happy, but I'm still suffering. And that was Valerie O'Sullivan. Well, Neil Richmond, Mark Ward and Kira Phelan are still here with me. I'm also now joined by Bear Grogan, a Policy and Research Manager with the Mental Health Reform Commission and by psychotherapist Richard Hogan. You're very welcome along to the programme. Uh, Bear, to come to you first, any parent, any family watching what Valerie has been through and has had to say about her experience will be appalled by that. Like that's one person telling her story to our reporter, Eric Clark. But there are many more stories like that right around the country. And I think um, at the outset, we have to thank Valerie for sharing her story and for being so open and brave to, you know, to waive any anonymity and, and to speak out about her experience because we know we need to listen to the voices of lived experience, people with lived experience of mental health difficulties across the island of, of Ireland. Um, and we really need to, so just to, to thank her for, for speaking with, with this story, like as policy and research manager with Mental Health Reform, we're a national coalition of 81 different charities and we we do have voices of lived experience feeding into that, but we do a lot of the kind of policy and research. Mm -hmm. um, and you often do get asked for people with lived experience to, to, to come and, and share their stories. But, you know, it, it's it's a balance that, that you have to, to strike. So just uh, first of all, to her and to anyone listening with their own experiences, you know, there, there are supports out there and there are people out there who, who care. Well, when you say there are supports out there, this report would show that the supports out there are simply not adequate. Yeah, and we're not surprised by the report, to be honest. Um, we've been calling for change and reform in, in this area for, for years. One of the pieces we, we asked for, there used to be a national director of mental health in the HSE at the kind of highest level. That was done away with in 2016. So we've been calling for reinstatement mm -hmm. um, of someone reporting directly into the CEO, you know, strategic oversight, accountability. This has cross-party political uh, support. Minister Mary Butler has called for this herself on the floor of the doll. Um, and we think now with Bernard Gloucester due to start soon as, as the new CEO of the HSE, we'd be calling on him to, to meet with us. And we think there's a really great opportunity now for him to say, we need to centre mental health in the HSE. We're going to have a, a national lead. We did welcome, there was an, an announcement made in budget 2023 for a national lead in, in youth mental health but that hasn't been advertised or recruited or anything Announced, yet. but we've heard no more since then. Um, Richard, to bring you in at this point, as someone working with patients and families, uh, the revelation that CAMS teams are neglecting to monitor children using antipsychotic medication. What are the dangers there? We heard from, from Valerie and the adverse effects it was having on her, taking a cocktail of drugs that did not suit her. 
What sort of dangers are you seeing in, in the patients you're treating? Oh, uh, Claire, I mean, this story is a story for anyone working in, in the mental health profession. This is a tsunami waiting to happen. We've all been waiting for the story to break. I mean, this is, this is not news to us working in the field, unfortunately. This is a superstorm that's coming, and this is only a small, you know, microcosm of that. And when you're, when you're dealing with heavy psychotropic drugs and antipsychotic drugs, at the very least, you monitor and you support children to see the side effects that those medications are going to have on the child, because they're going to have in incredible impact on the, on the system of the body and if you're not if you're not minding that at the very minimum it's bad practice it's actually negligence and if the HSC cannot ensure and this is the important point if the HSC cannot ensure that they can support children on heavy drugs well then we have to say there's a serious governance issue that needs immediate attention and i think that's where we are now and we had the maski report last year and there'll be a little bit of media attention around this report we can't allow it to move off because for too long claire families have been voiceless and this is a moment where family families i hear those voices all the time in my clinic their experience what, what they've gone through it's harrowing to sit there and, and hear families at their most vulnerable going into a service that is provided by our state and coming out of that service in a worse situation than they were before they went into it. It's a terrible indictment on our society and we have to, all of us sitting here, none of us disagree that there's a problem here. There's a serious problem. We need duty of candor here to really look at this and get the information, get good data and start building towards a system that is actually fit for purpose. Does not protect children, to save them. Yeah. Neil, if we're talking about serious governance issues, we're talking about extremely vulnerable children on medication that may cause a lot more harm than good. Don't emergency measures need to be taken at this point? I think the most serious approach has to be taken. This report, sadly, isn't a massive surprise to anyone sitting around this table, particularly those working in the field. And Mark would be one of those people as well as being a TD. But it's what do we do with this report? How do we use the data and the information to address it? Because there isn't a lack of political will from any party. There isn't a, a lack of finance. Sure, it could be more, but there is more budget towards mental health than ever before. Well, there but is the a lack of funding compared with, and I know in the, the previous part you were talking about what other countries are doing and everyone experienced the same mm. thing in other countries. We give far less for mental health funding in this country than other countries, far less of our health In certain budget. countries, certainly, absolutely, but that has increased steadily and will be increased. And if we look at 5. what it was 5 last year... 5.5% compared to a recommended 12% of well, the Well, if you look budget. at 1.2 billion in this year's budget alone, that will increase. It is bigger than it has before. It's not enough. I'm not saying it's enough, but that's a start. What we now need to make sure is the structures are put in place to address these very, very shocking findings and to make sure. The thing is, and the people will be sitting here going, how long have, you know, Fine Gael been in government and how long have we known about these issues in our adolescent mental health services? That the, the gaps in service were there, the resources weren't there, um, and the, the governance issues have been there. What about 2016, uh, a director of mental health for the HSE? We haven't had one in seven years. It hasn't, we lost in 2016 and there hasn't been a director since. Yeah, and obviously that, that is a policy decision that the HSE now has to take if there's a government pressure for it. As you said, Mary Butler, the minister responsible, will push this forward. She's not for my party, but I fully support her in that as, as anyone in government should. It sounds, it sounds to me like you're saying government are powerless here. No, I'm not. I'm saying government needs to do an awful lot more, but we need to make sure that the structures are in place to do that. And that's brought in by the experts working in the field and getting complete political um, backing for it.
will, political will, is it? Well, it's more than political will, it's political action. But if you don't have will to start it, then you can't is get anything going. Is there political will? There absolutely is political will and there will be the funding to match all the recommendations that this report will need and what has already been put in already. Mark Ward, political will, do you think it is there to change this situation? And I'm thinking about the 140 lost children, that's what they're described as in the mm. system. They're children who were seen and never followed up. Unfortunately, this report is not surprising. It is shocking, but it's not surprising. It's something, as, as we said around the table, it's something that we deal with on a daily basis and, and myself as a spokesperson for mental health. Mm -hmm. The immediate thing that must be done is in relation to them, 140 lost children. To make sure, and there's probably more than the 140 lost children, is to make sure they're found, to make sure that the wraparound supports are put in place so they get the care that they need immediately. And that needs to be done priorities uh, as a priority. The first thing that I done they this morning, just to but, confirm that. but if, if you go and have a, even have a look at my social media tonight and have a look at a, a, a post that I put up, the amount of parents that would have commented under my post, post as well. So there, there may be more children out there. The first because thing this I, isn't a countrywide report, this is just taking a this, certain number of teams in different regions, this is five out to clarify. Five out of the nine CHO areas have been done. Right, so, so just far. over half. And the first thing I done this morning was write to the Count Corla and ask for the Minister for Health to come in front of the Dáil uh, this week as an emergency. And I just got news there before I came on that the Minister has agreed to do that. So then that debate is going to take place on Thursday and questions need to be answered at that, at that debate as well. Yeah, what has been the response? Um, we, we heard from Mary Butler earlier. What, mm. what has been the response from the Minister's um, yeah. over this? What is a damning report, Kira? Yeah, the same discussion it's shocking we need to do something about it but uh, I think the urgency of this the fact that Dr Finnerty had to release an interim report because of the seriousness nature of what she's been finding and Neil you're talking about political will who's accountable here who is accountable for what has gone on who's going to be held accountable for what has gone on to these kids and their families their lives impacted forever Who's going to be held at account for this, if you could answer that to me? Is it the HSE? Is the minister going to be pulled in over it? No one seems to know. And that's what happens in this country. We have issues, these major detrimental issues that are happening to people, but nothing seems to be done. No one's held accountable about it. So who is going to be held accountable, Neil? Do you know? Is it the HSE? Who's going to be pulled in over it? Is it the Minister? Well, it won't be just one individual, but as Marcus said, the Minister will be accountable to the Dáil on Thursday, but there will be the, inter the new CEO from the HSE will be tasked with identifying this and putting it into place. But where was, the, where was the oversight? Because Stephen Donnelly is only in this job two and a half years. He was previous Minister for Health. There was previous uh, CEOs of the HSE. And this all happened on the watch of so many people and no one seemed to have looked into the significance of this to not even look into. See, back in 2017, there was 82 posts unfilled for consultant psychiatrists around the country. Did no one question the impact that was going to have on children? We've also seen, um, I think it's been pointed out by Sinn Féin, actually, about this jump in waiting times um, since this government, an 86% jump in the amount of children and adolescents awaiting services, CAM services. So... You know, the idea that it is shocking, maybe for some people, um, won't hold much sway there. Uh, Bear, you know, what would you like to see? You have called for a director over mental health services within the HSE. Now, that's a senior level appointment. Recruitment keeps coming up time and time again. Is there any way of dealing with that without it being a long-term thing? Like, we're hearing about the remote model where, you know, children and adolescents have talked to somebody you know, over, mm, yeah. uh, you know, who may be in Dubai, but overseeing a team mm. in, in Kerry or elsewhere. Is that working at all? I think it's, 
you can't move fully to an online approach and that's something that we've seen over COVID as well and that some of our member organisations would have seen. I actually had a meeting earlier today with Pieta and they were saying that they've seen a huge increase in under-18s accessing their services with self-harm and suicidal ideation. And when they looked at the data from last year, there wasn't, um, there wasn't this increase in wanting online. They still wanted face-to-face. -face. So I think we just have to be careful about, you know, obviously we need to be creative and think outside the box of, of solutions that are there. But as well, there are good things happening across some of the community health organisations. Mm. So that report today, there were five CHOs, um, one of which apparently is doing things well. It has IT systems in place. It has good filing in place. It's, you know... It sounds so, basic, actually, doesn't it? It sounds quite basic, but why, are, why can't the others do that yeah. then? And, and just on that, that's, that's an independent provider. That's, a, that, that's an independent provider outside the HSE that is providing the proper care that these kids need. It's not the HSE. Right. Is that do you think that says it all, Richard? Yeah, I, I do, and I, that's the question I'd love to ask. I hear this all the time, and it just drives me insane. 1.2 billion, 2 billion going. I was like, where the hell is that money going? Where's the accountability on that money? Who's spending that money? Because it's not getting to the, it's not getting to the psychiatrists. They're not hiring the right psychiatrists at the right levels. They're not, it's not feeding down to workers. And I feel for people working in camps mm. today because there's a lot of really good clinicians working there who are highly trained, spent a lot of their life, you know, with their fundamental idea of do no harm. And I, I know this is all over the media. They're going to work and they're, they're feeling this today. And they're, they're working in stone age conditions with absolutely, you know, basic, I hear it all the time, overworked, burnt out, um, you know. Um, so who's managing the purse strings? Yeah, like, where is it going? Like, where is, this, where is this money going? Bert? I think it's an interesting point when you read the report and it's saying they're, they're functioning at around 50% um, of the, the staffing that should be there. And then the point that you made about... So the, the money is there, but they can't get the staff. Well, is that what you're so saying? we would say that the money isn't there because we are at around five, between 5 and 6% of the overall health budget. But even what has been promised and what is, you know, promised under that 5.5% of the health budget. It's, it's not enough. Yeah. It's not enough. Slauncha Care's target was 10% of the overall health budget by 2024. That's next year. That means that in you know this September or October there's going to be have, have to be a huge jump. Yeah. Um, but we have an opportunity to be a leader here. We're not an outlier. You know there are best practices that, that we can um, learn from, and there are changes that that we can make, and we need to do it. How now. can we know, Neil, that this won't be ignored now? Like you've heard from people working in the field, working with patients and families. We heard at the top um, from Valerie O'Sullivan and the horrific experience she went through as a child dealing with that service that was supposed to help her. No, and it's harrowing and certainly the one area that I get a lot into my office is in relation to eating disorders in my area and people who are caught in that 16, 18 year old getting service and every time you get one of those calls it is like a sucker punch because it could be your daughter, your sister and if speaking to Minister Mary Butler who has the direct responsibility this morning about it, there will absolutely be action taken on this report, even though it is only an interim report, to make sure that the money that hasn't just been promised, that has been budgeted for, that has been provided, is spent on the services. Because there's no point saying it'll be 7 8% of the overall if you're still not spending uh, half that. We need to get those services in. We need to remember that, yes, there are amazing people working in CAMS. There are a lot of people who are getting really good care, but where there is very, very clear 
harrowing deficiencies that they will be addressed as soon as possible with the clear recommendations that are there. And you believe cr creative ways to maybe use that, that spending, um, Mark, in a recruitment crisis, which is essentially what we're in when it comes to mental health services in this country? One of the things that can be done and can be done very, very quickly is to have ring-fenced budgeting for CAMS. That's not in place at the moment, which means that CAMS is competing with all the other health organisations, the HSE, in relation to recruitment of staff. Yes. Also, and, and if you also look across CAMS, there, there, there is uh, CHO would have multi-disciplines uh, in place. For example, one CHO area might have three occupational therapists and the neighbouring CHO uh, area would have none. Yeah. So that Post, needs to be balanced. Postcode lottery. That needs yeah. to be balanced. And not for the first time that has been uh, brought up and brought to our attention um, in a damning report. And just to let you know, you can contact helplines on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash helplines if that conversation has affected you at all. We will leave it there. My thanks to my panel, Neil, Mark, Kira, Burr and Richard. Uh, coming up next, Revolut steps up its battle with the banks. Do stay with us. Welcome back. I'm joined now for our January consumer slot by consumer journalist Sinead Ryan. Sinead, you're very welcome along. Uh, January, it's a month that people, I suppose, are looking at the bills, they're looking at their banking options. Uh, let's talk about what Revolut are doing. They've come from a bank being very much online, in the background, a handy way to, to group share, you know, a, a, a split a bill, to, to one that's really competing with the big financial institutions. Tell us about what they're doing for Irish customers now. Well, it's certainly a disruptor in the fintech market. And I mean, that's what it's set out to be. And it seems to be very successfully doing it. Um, so what it has done now, I mean, one of the drawbacks that people found with Revolut, and it is brilliant for all that thing you're talking about, splitting bills and popping over money to your kids, which is what I seem to do all the time, or pay bills or whatever. Uh, one of the things holding it back was the fact that um, it was very difficult in some cases to have your salary paid into it and to pay direct debits out of it. Not because Revolut didn't support all that, but because it has a Lithuanian banking licence instead of an Irish one. Now, it actually was due to get an Irish banking licence, but it just took so long to wend its way through, you know, the, the powers that be that it, it didn't bother. So the Lithuanian banking licence is perfectly valid. There's nothing wrong with it. But instead of the IE that you see at the beginning of your long number, it has LE. And, you know, companies were saying, notably, it has to be said, utility providers in Ireland were saying, oh, we don't recognise that. We are not going to allow direct debit to run out of it. Um, now, in fact, they have to. Right. Because the law says that if it's a member state banking license, I mean, IBAN, the IBAN stands for International Bank Account Number. I mean, it's supposed to standardise everything. But some companies were saying we, our systems aren't set up for it. They're too old fashioned. We can't do it. We can't change it. We want an Irish IBAN. Now, that's a bit like saying I want crisp crisps. You know, I mean, it, there's no such thing, really. But what Revolut have now decided to do to kind of cut it off at the knees is to say, look, OK, fine. You want an IE at the beginning of the IBAN, we'll supply them. Now, what that does, Claire, that's kind of a game changer because now it means that people who heretofore were running Revolut as a secondary account, like they had a proper, if you like, bank account with AIB or Bank of Ireland or somebody, and they had Revolut for all the fun stuff you were talking about, it, they can now properly operate it as a full bank account. It means that your employer can pay, you, pay into your Revolut account. Exactly. So your salary can go in 
and your direct debits can go out. And that's a big threat to the banks, isn't it? It is. Well, it is. It's more, I mean, this was always coming. And it's more competition. Um, now, that said, they still have a very limited lending facility. So you won't get an overdraft. Okay. It'll, it'll come. They'll do all that. You can get personal loans there. So all this will move on. And in time, they'll offer a, an entire banking service. Um, and, and I, you know, What about banking fees and all of that? Because that's also been the benefit as well, that people have Revolut and they may be giving up you know, their other bank accounts because they're not charged that sort of maintenance yeah, fee. Yeah, well, no, they're not charged it for certain things. Revolut is not free. There is a, a basic account which is free. And if all you're doing with it is passing money between friends and paying bills, then that's fine. But they do have three levels of accounts which are fee-based. And they're not inconsiderable compared to Bank of Ireland and AIB and P PTSB. You know, they offer monthly fees for different services. And that allows you to have, say, more than one under 18 accounts. It allows you run different things out of it and get a nice shiny card. But you will pay for that, like you, you will with the traditional it. banks. $7.99 up to, I think, around 13.99. Okay, briefly, Sinead, I want to talk about the, the two banks that are leaving the market, and we've heard about these for a while, but it's finally coming to that point. KBC and Ulster Bank about to leave. But we are seeing that one in eight uh, remaining Ulster Bank and KBC customers still haven't acted. You know, that's quite a high uh, percentage yeah, that we're yeah. seeing. Well, or maybe partially have, but haven't gone the whole hog. Yeah, well, I'm one of them. So, I mean, why haven't I closed why my account? Why haven't you? Well, I'll tell you why. I have migrated everything over to a different bank, right? I, my, my income, my outgoings, my standing orders, everything now. I have a new card, I have a different bank, I have a whole other thing. I've left a little bit of cash in my old Ulster Bank account. Why? Because I don't know that I haven't forgotten something. There might be a stray direct debit, a standing order, a subscription that only comes out once a year. Um, and, and that has happened. Will you get that so, cash back? If people do leave something they will, sitting they will. there, yeah. what happens? So what the worst case scenario, right? So say you keep your Ulster Bank account open. And by the way, I would say to people, do migrate over. Don't just sit there and do nothing. Like you do have, a, you do have to get a new bank. But I don't see any problem with leaving a couple of quid in there just in case. Uh, when the time comes, the worst case scenario is your bank account will be closed. You will no longer be able to use your card. You won't be able to tap or anything like that. And if there's a residual amount in the account, they will send you a cheque. I was just saying, what, what happens to the cash if the that's direct debit doesn't cash, come out or there's money. outstanding? Okay, so that's a way to just yeah. ensure, just in case there are, yeah. there's one such exactly. payment or standing order now, that hasn't been rectified. I would say to people, uh, the downside of that is that you pay stamp duty for the debit card and the credit card, mm. and that usually goes out once a year. So it's possible you could end up paying extra stamp duty just by kind of sitting around waiting. Uh, but really, I don't, I, I think Ulster Bank acknowledged there's an awful lot of people out there who have migrated it, but still have a little bit left there. All right. Okay. okay. Um, that's good. That's reassuring to people. Uh, Sinead, uh, thank you so much. And that is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok, tonight VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care. <laughs>